You are listening to the Wi-Fi Ninjas podcast, where we talk about wireless technology. Here are your hosts, Matt Daring and Matt Starling. Hello, and welcome to the latest Wi-Fi Ninjas podcast. I'm your host, Matt Starling, and I'm joined with Mac Daring. Hey, Mac. Hello, Matt. How's it going? Very good, thank you. And yourself? Never been better. Fabulous. Um, so today, um, we decided that we're going to just talk around a few of the things that we've achieved recently. Um, both you and myself have recently passed a uh, exam um, in the wireless world. The, uh, what, what did you pass? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I passed the Certified Wireless Security Professional Exam from CWMP. Oh no, what is it? <laughs> Which I think then led to motivate you to do it as well. Okay, so I've done it as well. Yeah, okay, cool. So we both <laughs> passed the WSP. <laughs> so congrats, Matt. Well done. Yeah, well done, Mac. <laughs> So think, you are just I, one exam away from, from CWNE, mate. Is that correct? Yep. How about yeah. yourself? Yeah, so I'm about to uh, crack on with CWDP. Yep. I think I can just like you know, walk in and pass it, I think. And then we are switching our focus massively to uh, protocol analysis. So CWAP and uh, advanced troubleshooting. And I'm, I really cannot wait to start uh, digging deeper into this topic. You? Yeah, it's really interesting. I'm really enjoying going through the material at the moment. Um, I'm having to play with it. Yeah, it's superb. It's really superb. So I already started like a couple of months ago, and that was the reason why I decided to start blogging about it because I found it so interesting and the materials on the internet are so lacking. I thought it would be a great idea to share uh, our studies. Yeah, no, it's, it's been really good. I'm really enjoying it so far. It's, it's amazing. I think it will be my favorite. So it's the weakest area of, of my knowledge now, uh, the protocol analysis uh, in Wi-Fi world, but I think it will quickly become my favorite. Yeah, mine too, to be fair. There's always been something that I knew I needed to work on, and now with actually spending the time looking into it, I'm really enjoying it. I yeah, highly, rec- right. highly recommend it to anyone that's looking to get into, into wireless. Because there are some situations where Without proper packet analysis, it's really difficult to uh, get to the bottom of the issue. Like I was recently working on one of our clients, and we had some some problems with devices disconnecting, and they were disconnecting on their own. So from Cisco perspective, when you look at the debugs, you just see reassociation requests, which which is you know just uh, suggesting that the device wants to roam, but they roam from the IP that I associated with to the same uh, IP, and they are just sitting on my desk. They are not moving. So why they are sending? Uh, reassociation request are they sending anything else i don't know because i don't see the error so it would be really nice to to capture all that and and analyze that because not everything is possible to 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 be seen from the controller or from the access point perspective yeah definitely yeah okay so uh, shall we quickly discuss our recent challenges um that are closely related to post deployment surveys that we are going to talk about today the, so, third, the third p yeah, third P, so four P surveys. First P was um, predictive. Then <laughs> predictive survey, yeah. Pre-deployment, that's yeah. the second P. <laughs> Today we are on the first P, post-deployment. And yeah. the fourth one, periodic health check, will be addressed in a couple of weeks. Yep. Okay, so what's your challenge with the post-deployment survey? So recently, 
the challenge I had with a post-deployment survey after we done our predictive design and the actual implementation of the new access point placement for one of our client sites and the, we implemented the configuration as well. We'd let the, it, it was a Cisco deployment with Cisco Wireless controllers and Cisco access points. Um, one of the configurations that we had enabled was the flexible radio assignment where that let the access points, because they were capable of dual 5 gigahertz, um, so it would enable the access points to be able to switch from having one 2.4 radio and one 5 gig radio to using two 5 gig radios. And we had set the channel assignment and um, width to be set to, to best on the Cisco controller, as we was hoping that the WLC would um, make the kind of best configuration for what channels and what widths to set the access point radios to. Um, so we let that settle down for about, I think it's about a week or two before I went in and, and started to do the post deployment survey. Um, and from very quickly, just looking at what the channel overlap was, I uh, could see that some somewhat the Cisco controller had been a bit optimistic because what it had decided to do is to pretty much flip most of the 2.4 radios on the access points to 5 gigahertz and then also set them to 80 megahertz wide channels. So there was quite a lot of overlap. And was it a high density deployment? Yeah, it was quite a fairly high density deployment. <laughs> so there was a, a fair amount of channel overlap just on the own network. So um, this is why it's important to do the, the post RF survey because that, we then went back and then tweaked down the settings to come back off of best to use a, uh, not let it use such a, a high width channel channels. Yeah, and the best thing is that it's considered the Cisco best practices when you take a look at uh, Cisco controllers uh, and, and the you, best practices. Yeah. Say, oh, have you enabled flexible uh, channel assignment? Have you enabled flexible radio assignment? Yes, I've enabled it all. And then I ended up having 20 channel overlapping around the atrium <laughs> in my high density office. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, so we have to be careful. Yeah, I just felt like the controllers were being a bit optimistic with that. And then it just caused quite a lot of overlap even though we had RxSop enabled um, and set to, set to medium I still went back and decided to lower the channel widths just to reduce the amount of overlap and yeah. what did you reduce it to 20 megs yeah yeah sounds like a good plan <clears throat> yeah because with the flexible radio assignment and they're going to be converting most of the 2.4 radios, radios into five. It's going to be pretty much each access point is going to be taking up 40 megahertz of, of channel capacity anyway. So. Okay. And you still left the flexible radio assignment turned on? Yes. Okay. I'm, I'm looking forward to some feedback from the client about the you know, flexible channel assignment and maybe like a periodic health check survey to see how it settles in. Yeah, it's so, funny, I was, I was actually on a call with the uh, customer yesterday and he was saying that they haven't had any any complaints about the uh, the wireless and it's been working spotlessly since we've uh, did the implementation and the uh, changes and stuff, so they seem pretty happy about that. Very good, very good. What was your uh, recent challenge, Mac? Oh, I had more than one. <laughs> <laughs> so now I'm sitting in client's office in, in Ireland 
uh, in Dublin and I'm connected to the Wi-Fi that I put in yesterday. Well, two days ago, really. And I was doing post-deployment survey yesterday, which was maybe 10 hours or 12 hours after we finished uh, registering access points and configuring and tweaking SSIDs, config and, and radio settings. And I started uh, smashing the post-deployment survey in the morning. Uh, where the office was full of people and, you know, everyone was, was using Wi-Fi or most of people that were using Wi-Fi, they were trying it out because the email has been sent that the new Wi-Fi has been installed uh, and it should address all the issues that they were fighting with for the last couple of years. Uh, so they were quite keen on the uptake of the new Wi-Fi, testing it for us nicely. So I thought it would be a great opportunity to check the spectrum utilization when people, they are just, you know, quite uh, enthusiastic about, about new Wi-Fi installation. And I finished the post-deployment survey. Thankfully, the office is not too big. Uh, then I realized that we have more access points on the survey, like much more access, many more access points than, uh, than we really have in the office. And some access points, they really had the same, uh, SSA, the same MAC address, but they were operating on two different channels. And lessons learned from that is freeze this RRM while doing a post-deployment survey because RRM is still uh, like DCA, dynamic channel assignment, it's possible that it will still change the channel in the middle of doing the post-deployment survey. And then the results that we are going to capture are not going to be clean because we will see the same access points in multiple channels. So that was one. Yeah, I know it's funny, right? But <laughs> it's all, not normally I remember, but yesterday I forgot and that's why I had to do it twice. <laughs> Lovely. Um, and also, that's why we usually tend to say to kind of let the RRM and the deployment be in for a little while before you go back to do the post-deployment survey so it's had a chance to settle down and figure out what is best. Yeah, exactly. So it takes at least 24 hours for the environment to settle on their optimal uh, settings. But still, if something happens, if you have some interference or if the system decides to just change channels, they will. So it, it, it's not the best idea to to leave it on during the survey. Mm. And the second part of my post-deployment survey yesterday was testing uh, roaming speeds, testing compatibility, using all the devices that client is using in their offices. And they use everything here because this is a bunch of developers. So most of the guys, they use uh, some weird Linux distributions uh, on brand new uh, Lenovo X1 computers. Some of them, they have like a very old fourth generation Intel uh, 440s and piece Lenovo's like you know just massive chunky laptops but they are still quite quick so they're using it they're running Linux on it they're running Windows 10 on it they have MacBooks both old and new and Android devices flagship and low ends and Apple, Apple iPhones old and new so I've spent most of my day yesterday testing it properly. So I was establishing a voice call from one device to, to another device and walking around the office, checking if uh, it was like, you know, chunky. Uh, the voice quality was, was getting lower when I was walking around the office quickly. Uh, I was also debugging uh, the uh, clients against the Mac address system, the controller to see when they start the roaming process, how much time it takes until it's all done and settled. And yeah, and also, the SSIDs are, are optimized for voice because that they're looking at uh, at converting this office to more Wi-Fi than cable, and they're using uh, soft phones on all of their devices and video conferencing. So 
uh, it's five gigahertz only. Uh, 802.11R uh, fast roaming, fast transition is enabled. And also we try to leverage uh, the functionality like 802.11 VNK that is enabled least and the next best AP uh, that the client can connect to and avoid panic scan while roaming. And what else? And no band select and all this stuff. So it's properly optimized for, for voice. And I was just testing if, if it's possible for all the devices to roam quickly to, to leverage this uh, functionality. Are all the devices compatible with uh, fast transition? Maybe some of them they are, some of them they are not. So you, we won't know until we test it properly with all of them. And that's why it's extremely important to test the new deployment with all types of devices that client is using. And why is it important? Because yesterday I was testing it first with my uh, Microsoft Surface Book 2 laptop, which is really, uh, really crap in terms of Wi-Fi capabilities, but still it liked the network massively. I was uh, jumping between APs in milliseconds, it was really, really quick. So it was pretty much as quick as the four-way four handshake, and then it was able to uh, compute the PMK uh, from the cached uh, authentication result on the access points, and it was it was really sweet. Uh, I tested it with my uh, flagship Android phone. It was nice. Uh, two different iPhones. It was super nice. So Fastlane was kicking in, all the AVC and stuff. It was it was perfect. I checked it with Lenovo's, uh, old one with Windows 10, new one, X1 on uh, Linux distribution, and they are all extremely fast to roam. Rock stable, rock solid, uh, performance is amazing. And then I grabbed one of the MacBooks, MacBook Pros, and I'm walking around and I'm saying, oh, wait a minute, it's like, you know, the, the voice is, is freezing every time I'm, I'm uh, jumping between the access points. Why is it doing that? The video is freezing as well. I dropped the call once or twice when I was walking fast around the office. I checked the logs and I can see that these MacBook Pros, they, even though the network is configured for 802.11R, it's set to enable, not even adaptive. So theoretically, devices that are not compatible with this feature should not be able to even connect to the network. MacBook Pros, they do connect to the network just fine, but they don't, they don't use this feature only thing that they look at, it seems, is the RSSI. So when you start dropping the RSSI to like 72 or even 74, or like something that crazily low, they will only then start to roam. So at this point, you're already starting to lose some packets, possibly when you're moving around the office before you even start roaming. And then when they roam, they, they do not leverage 8.11R. So you can see that they go through all full .1x authentication against the radio server and it takes time. It takes time. So it consistently took me about 1.8 seconds for the MacBooks to roam between two access points and all infrastructure is here on site. So it's pretty much as quick as it can be with uh, EAP type of authentication. And I was quite disappointed. I was also doing some more tests about MacBooks. So different combination of uh, 802.11R settings like uh, set to adaptive, uh, set to enabled, over the air, over the distribution system. I won't go into too much details about the over the air and distribution system, but uh, Apple says that they should be able to leverage 802.11R over the air. They don't support distribution system, which is fair enough. So, you know, all the other devices that I tested, they are happy with, with both. So I set it to, uh, I, che I check all the options, including over the air adaptive, and they still didn't use 802.11R. So that is that is a massive disappointment. 
from from my side. I've had this issue before, but I've never had time to uh, to properly look at it. And yesterday I captured all the logs. I've seen it, you know, firsthand on the controller, on the access point, on the devices themselves that they are not using 802.11 R fast transition. And that was disappointment number one with MacBook Pros. Uh, disappointment number two with MacBook Pros was when I was working around the office, they were really slow to start roaming. So you really had to drop really, really low, like to, as I said, next 72, next 74, 75, at which point the quality of the signal SNR is already too low to be considered good for voice over wireless. And then they take the sweet time doing the roaming. And in some cases, they drop off the network mid-roam. And also with RX SLP threshold set to, I think it's set to medium here, which means that everything below next 78 uh, dBMs will be ignored on the radio level. And those MacBooks, they were constantly, not, not all the time, but intermittently, quite frequently, dropping off the network mid-roam where they were dropping below the RX SOP threshold of NEC78, which is really, really bad because you have to change it to like low. Uh, so you are increasing overlapping to make the roaming for MacBook devices possible. And also they're super slow to roam, which makes me think, what is the reason why Apple didn't implement proper fast transition? I'm, it's, it's quite quite shocking to me, but it is what it is. So that's that's my lessons learned. Test with all the devices, freeze this RRM while doing post-deployment survey and understand how your network settings affect every device that is expected to be connected to the network. Sounds like you had a lot of fun. Ah, yeah, still recovering. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's all fun. It's all fun. So I, I like working with stuff like this. It gives <laughs> me a lot of pleasure. I'm, I'm sure that you are similar in this regard. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So with the challenges uh, discussed, took us some time, I think. Mm -hmm. uh, shall we jump into the main topic of the post-deployment surveys? Yep. And what is a post-deployment survey? Okay. So crack on. What is it? Uh, it's a chance for you to validate your RF design. So you've gone in and done your predictive and pre-deployment survey, and it's now been implemented, and it's a uh, perfect opportunity for you to go in and validate that the RF is working as you would expect it to. You can also validate that the access points and antennas have been installed properly. There's always a chance that once you hand over to the, the cabling company where to put the access points and how to mount them that they may not get actually physically mounted in the right place or at the right orientation and you may need to go in and get that addressed. Yeah, um, so even, even if you give them uh, clear instructions about how to mount the access points, where, how to tilt them, uh, at what height to mount them, what brackets to use it's still quite frequent that it will be mounted completely differently, right? <laughs> yeah, I've seen that so many times. Yeah, and that's why we try to really be involved into mounting access points all the time. Yeah. And it's then, not always possible, though. Yeah, I mean, they may have cabling restrictions where they haven't been able to get a cable to where we said that they would need to get a cable to, and then they haven't been able to mount it to the... Um, wall uh, to the ceiling how you'd like it to so they end up putting it on a wall or something so it's just good to be able to go back and do your post deployment survey to validate that everything is kind of looking how you'd expect it to look from your design yeah and then from the post deployment survey using the post deployment survey tool echo and the sidekick you can 
um, validate the RSSI and the SNR and how much channel overlap there is and spectrum utilization and any kind of interference basically just um, a really good tool and method to make sure that you try and enforce that the customer lets you come back to site to do to to validate because there there's more than likely always going to be something that needs to be just tweaked slightly to improve or enhance the the network after you've done the post deployment survey exactly exactly it's just crucial that like you wouldn't know that you have this overlapping problems at the client side if you didn't go there uh, and finish post deployment survey right no, exactly. So I it, uh, it was working. It was working much better than the old deployment, but still, it could be could massively be improved. Yeah. yeah. No, definitely. It's um, it is something that sometimes usually gets pushed back on by the customer because they don't want to sometimes necessarily pay for your time to go back to site because obviously it's another cost for them. But it's something you should really try and definitely um, recommend and push that you you do so you can validate your design and like everything else that we just mentioned yeah, it's absolutely crucial and also it's an opportunity to document the network after it's being put in so mm -hmm. you don't only rely on the simulations from MegaHow, you really have the real real state of the new wireless network documented on the heat maps in the report that you that you produce after the post deployment survey and then if something something happens in the network in the future you can take this report take a look at how it looked like a year ago what has changed uh, has the utilization of the spectrum increased do we need to uh, think about how to modify it uh, looking at at the original state of the network what can we do what can be modified all this kind of stuff is like just helpful to 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 have to refer to in the future yeah exactly yeah okay so should we just cover why else it's important to do that? Yeah, of course. So what else is important? So documentation, definitely, and opportunity to make uh, final RF changes to, to the deployment. That's exactly what you've done. That's exactly what I've done yesterday as well. And I just wanted to emphasize that it doesn't really matter how big or small the deployment was or what vertical we are working with. Is it retail or warehouse or a hospital? or a small office, it doesn't matter. We always should validate our work. It, it's not that time consuming. So post-deployment survey is one of the quickest, really. Assuming that you don't have like 20 types of devices to check and you don't have some crazy requirements, normally all it takes is just a hybrid or passive survey, working around the office, uh, checking, uh, checking this SNR, checking the MSSI, checking interference, channels allocation, and all this stuff and testing compatibility with like two or three client types that that doesn't take too much time right no exactly and i think you just mentioned there it's important that you can then get client devices and you can go and test with like you did at the customer site that you're at this week and and then you can feed back to them and show them like the issues that you're having with the the macbooks and the slow to roam yeah. uh, uh, but everything else working spotlessly and if you make the client aware of that and they know that then they know what to expect they won't scream yeah. at you if they see that you know apple is not the quickest to roam in the network because it's it's not it's not your fault it's not their fault it's just how it is uh, and it's fair enough to be honest like you know no one is running around the office with a massive macbook pro in their hands uh, on a voice call no so right? you 
that's what yeah, that's what we were talking about yesterday. Is it really that much of an issue if these MacBooks don't roam as well as some of the other devices? Because who really is going to be walking around on a voice call using a MacBook? They're going to be working at their desk and then pick it up and move it to another area or a meeting exactly. room and then open it again. And then by the time they've done that, they would have reassociated to the next nearest access point and be back on the network working spotlessly. But it's a good yeah, exactly. thing. Yeah, with mobile phones, it's completely different, right? You are yeah. constantly on a, on a call. You have like your Bluetooth headset or whatever, a cabled headset, whatever you like. And you run around the office. You expect to stay connected. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so that's, that's why it is important uh, doing post-deployment survey. And now how do we do it, Matt? So what tools do you normally use while performing post-deployment surveys? So the only tool that we really use is um Ekahal and the uh, and the sidekick not again <laughs> yeah so yeah that's that's the only survey and software tool that i've really used throughout my wireless working career um yeah. i did have a look at some other ones and hated it and then just always stuck with Ekahal ever since um we do touch on how a lot more in, in our episode two if you wanted to go back and get some more information on that we won't plug it too much here yeah and also on top of how which is like a crucial element of, of our reserving uh, tools we both feel that it makes much more sense now to sometimes focus on a packet captures more right yeah yeah, if you have some issues, it's really like, you know, it, it, it really can clearly outline what is happening, assuming that you know how to interpret all these captures. That's why it's, it's, it's difficult. It's challenging and important to understand how wireless protocol works, to be able to know what to expect from those captures and to spot anomalies in those captures. Couldn't agree anymore. Yeah, and that's, that's, that's tools. Easy peasy. Yep. Prereqs. Mm -hmm. What do we need to uh, have prior to our site visit? Do we have to ask a client to give us something? Do we, do we, what, what do we need? Uh, well, we need to make sure, obviously, the deployment has been fully installed. All the access points are up and working. Um, one thing that I'd like to just mention that has caught me out in the past before is with access point host names and doing an ECAO survey. If you have a host name of your access point, which is longer than 15 characters, anything after the 15 characters will not be displayed on your account file. And usually right. the last digits of the host name are probably the most important because that will tell you which access point is pretty much where. So the first, I don't know, the first part of the host name is usually giving you a the site specific of where it is uh, is then telling you what floor it's on. Some people like to put in what equip, like equipment cabinet is going back to. Uh, model some, of the access point. Then, some people. Number. <laughs> yeah, some people like to have the AP model and the host name, um, and then then they will have what the actual access point number is. And by the time if you how have about all, the, how, about, how about the switch for the connected? <laughs> yeah, I've seen that before. So some <laughs> some access point host names we're talking the like twenty something characters. Or even uh, better, like, you know, try to imagine having an access point named uh, UK London dash Wi-Fi Ninjas uh, <laughs> dash uh, Devonshire Square dash Floor One dash uh, HR or Human Resources dash 
Cisco 3650 port uh, GI102. Yeah. So then when you get when you then do your post deployment survey and then you place all the access points on the map and all you're really going to see is just the first 15 characters or whatever that host name is so that, you have to like in some some vendors you have to really enable the feature of yeah. broadcasting the name of the access point that is another thing that I was going to I was going to mention is yeah, sometimes for it, a, a security feature on Cisco you can turn off the internet IE which basically will only broadcast like just say Cisco and then give like, a few digits of the MAC address um, so when I went to a customer site actually last week when I was sitting down with a customer I said before we get started can we just make sure that this is enabled on the wireless LAN that we're going to be doing the survey of and is your AP hostname convention less than 15 characters and they kind of both looked at each other and laughed and went nope and so before I got started they actually went and changed all of the access point names and removed some of the stuff that probably wasn't necessarily to be in there but um, if we didn't do that yeah after I'd done the survey given the documentation they would look to the access point locations and went ah I can't actually really tell what access point is where and then the only way of them doing it would be a very manual way of having a look at the mac address looking on the controller sends looking at what the whole host name is and then going back and then changing it which kind of defeats the purpose of how a nice echo can be with placing the access points on the map with the host name being tied to what you're expecting it to be there with the all of the characters yeah true can't agree more <laughs> <laughs> okay, and also I would say uh, that one of the uh, prereqs should be really to allow 24 hours at least. So yeah, to, yeah, yeah, to let to let the RM settle down and get let let users get in and start using the network, and then if there's any teething problems, then the user will just normally sort of shout, and that'll give you a kind of insight of somewhere that, where you maybe need to start having a look at what's going on. Yeah, exactly. So office should be full of users right it mm -hmm. doesn't really that doesn't really make any sense to do a post deployment survey in an empty office at night no so one of the customers um that i did a survey and design for they were moving to a new office and the new office actually had everything installed um and we could have gone in and then gone into the building when it was only just been installed but none of the users were there so i was kind of and, and it's been three weeks now and they only moved in this week so next week I'm going back to that customer site to do the post RF survey because now the users are in but we could have gone in two weeks ago when there's no one in there but like you said without users in there actually using it there's no there's there's not really that much point to to do it yeah I agree so normally after uh, well while deploying the new solution we really should do a proper test during the deployment stage, right? So as many tests as possible, uh, just to have this peace of mind that after the network is deployed, it will actually work. And it should, everything should be checked before migration day. Yeah. Post deployment survey, it gives us another chance, opportunity to do this testing, roaming test and stuff. But ideally, it all should be tested beforehand. So migration is the last step everything before should be completed prior to migration all the tests everything that is why i let's say i really like having like a proof of concept network first uh, have a just one side of the building with new access points running off a new system 
uh, test compatibility there. Uh, make sure to have a test group of users that are using this Wi-Fi network for a day or two or a week, if possible, as many users as possible, like normally from the IT department, but maybe from different departments as well, if they're willing to help. And only after we are sure that it's working, then do the migration, then let it settle, let it work for a week or two uh, to iron out all the like a standard post-deployment issues and then do the post-deployment survey. <clears throat> exactly. Yeah. Okay, so I think that uh, nicely summarizes the prereqs. Mm -hmm. uh, last section to discuss is how do you really perform post-deployment survey? So, well, you would probably have all uh, the survey plans prepared from your predictive survey, but if you don't, you'd need to make sure that your floor plans are accurately scaled, um, the floors are aligned to create the building um, that you would however many floors are going to be inside the building so make sure it's built properly and aligned and scaled then you would uh, you wouldn't have the need to draw all of the walls um and stuff in because you're going to be doing like a full passive or hybrid survey um but you just need to make sure that all of you define the success criteria in the areas so like how many users what type of devices what kind of bandwidth they're going to be using and then then you can, then you're pretty much ready to go and start using your surveying software and surveying hardware to go do your standard kind of like passive or hybrid survey of the the new building. And like we, like we said before, it's worth making sure that the office is full of users under normal kind of load of what they'll be doing and in hours. And then once you've completed all of that, you would. Uh, follow it up with um, an off-site documentation report to document all of the findings and the exact RF condition. True, okay. So hybrid and passive survey, just in two sentences, what's the difference? I'll let you explain that. I feel like I covered most of the post-employment <laughs> survey. Okay, okay cool. So uh, hybrid survey. Uh, versus passive. Passive, it means that you don't really have to be associated to any SSID. You yep. just uh, power on your sidekick, open up Echo and start working around. Okay, so define the success criteria of the project. Uh, it's like, you know, what's the minimum RSSI you are looking to, to have, minimum SNR, maximum channel overlapping. Uh, well, all of that is defined. You just can start cracking on with, with the survey. And that captures everything. All the SSIDs, all the access points that are yours, yours, your neighbors, everything. So you don't have to be connected. That's that's passive. Mm -hmm. Hybrid element of the survey means that uh, you are connecting to the SSID, one of the SSIDs that, on the system that you are testing against, and then possibly you can run a ping, RTT, which are not greatest validation tests in Wi-Fi, but they could give you some trends. If it doesn't work at all, it's, it's wrong. If it works perfectly, you, you can see sometimes one millisecond, then five milliseconds, then one again, then a hundred. It's normal because ping, it has really low priority in the Wi-Fi world. And it, you know, the devices, they play the game uh, to access the media and not always they will be able to have their ICMP packet delivered within one millisecond. Sometimes they will have to wait for their turn. That is why sometimes it will take one millisecond if it's their turn. Sometimes it will take 40 
or 100 or 200 milliseconds before they're allowed to access the media. Uh, so it's, it's completely, uh, completely uh, normal. And I think also that sometimes what we're defining here as a hybrid survey would be um, also called a active survey. Uh, so active, it's just uh, it's just validating uh, the SSID that you are connected to without capturing all the other stuff. So that's active. So ping test RTT and iperf, you know, throughput testing that that would be active. And hybrid is a mixture of of both. <laughs> yeah, I really like to be connected to the SSID uh, of the network that I'm testing because it uh, it allows Ekahow or any other uh, survey uh, software to identify the access points that are your access points. So if you are connected to the SSID that is, you know, called, I don't know, Blue Unicorn or whatever else, when you walk around the building, it will find all the access points that are broadcasting this SSID and it will mark them as, as yours. So we don't have to do it later yeah. uh, for creating the documentation. That, yeah, I think that's it. Yeah. Okay. Is there anything else that you would like to uh, talk about in regards to post-deployment surveys? Mm, I feel like we've probably covered everything. Uh, is there anything else that we could talk about or cover? I don't think so. Yeah, I'm quite happy with, with all the content as well. So yeah. let's close up then. Okay, cool. Thanks for uh, thanks for listening, everyone, and thanks for your time again today, Mac. Thank you. Uh, as usual, if you'd like to get in in touch with us, you can find us on Twitter at Wi-Fi Ninjas. Uh, you can visit our website at wifi-ninjas.net. We're also on LinkedIn under Wi-Fi Ninjas, and then my personal Twitter and LinkedIn. You can find me just by searching Matt Starling. Um, and what's yours, Mac? And I'm on Twitter, uh, Geek Wi-Fi, which is also the name of my blog. And on LinkedIn, I'm Mac Dering. Very nice. Okay, well, thanks, guys, and thanks, Mac. Thank we'll you. See you. Speak to you all soon. Had a blast, as always. Thanks, Mac. Speak later.